Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, a podcast where scientists and engineers come together to chat about a common interest, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Galia and in this episode I'm joined by Antonia and Laura to talk about the electricity grid and the challenges to using renewable energy only. We'll get all into that in a moment but I think first Laura you have a few things you want to rave and celebrate about. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've been doing this for just over a year now. Uh, we had a <laughs> we had our one year anniversary recently, and to celebrate it, amongst other things, we did a Reddit Ask Me Anything, which I thought was uh, very entertaining, and I really enjoyed it. We've never done one before, so there was like a team of us on Zoom talking to each other, saying, "Do you want to answer that question? How should we answer that one? Do we even try and answer that one, or do we just let other people?" <laughs> talk around it. So I think we have to thank all of the people that were involved in that and asked some really smart questions and upvoted and people that then listened to the episodes as a result. And Sonia, do you have any particularly memorable moments from the Reddit AMA? There was quite a few really interesting ones. There was someone who was trying to get back into learning and shared her story and that was really, really cool. There was a lot of lovely people talking about what it means to to try and help with women and diversity in their fields and then of course there was someone who specifically asked me how do we use water and gravity to generate electricity or no water pressure they said and I try to uh, pick it back to basics and I think I think we might have got somewhere maybe (laughs) we might have got to a perpetual motion machine That's good. Was there anything in particular that you couldn't answer? We tried to answer all the questions that were about science and there were quite a lot of questions about being female or women scientists and engineers and our experiences of that. Mm. And I know a lot of women experience a lot of bias in their industries. I think we're quite a fortunate team in that we're not aware of any specific bias against us because of our gender. But we don't talk about that a lot on this podcast. We tend to focus on the science and engineering. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just kind of important to highlight it in that podcasting is listened mostly by male people and created by mostly male people. And then the industries we work in are male dominated. I mean, some people were talking about the biological sciences and them having more female people. We're all in the uh, physical science and engineering Mm -hmm. generally, and it's not such an even split. It's biased towards one way. Yeah. We were recently talking just about have we ever had a female team leader or female project manager or female technical lead? And I think in my experience, I've never had a female technical lead or like a manager in that sense. So it is quite shocking, to be honest. I've been in the industry a bit too long now for that not to be the case. To bring it back to some of the more sciencey engineering questions we got a lot of questions like who makes the best sandwich and why do seagulls keep stealing my fries <laughs> we were like, well you need to science this yes 100 <laughs> percent. come up with some criteria <laughs> for the best sandwich so it's a good mix of questions about science engineering and the, the female side of it as well which was uh, quite fun another thing we've got going on as a celebration is we now have team t-shirts tell us more <laughs> So they've got a logo on the front and they have some code on the back that one of our team wrote, which is sort of a definition of the podcast written in Python. As you do. <laughs> I feel like if you did try and execute it, it might not always produce this podcast, but <laughs> at least you kind of have somewhere to start off. 
Yeah, and we actually have a few t-shirts and a few bags as well going spare. So we made more than there are in the team at the minute. So if anyone listening to this would like one, please get in touch with us and we'll send you some more details. Galia, I think it's time to hand back over to you so we can talk about electricity and renewables. Yes, I agree. So on the on the topic of celebration, it is British Science Week this week. So in light of our discussion that we're about to have, I thought it'd be good to mention Michael Faraday. He is a British scientist and he's had a huge contribution to the way in which we live. And that's mainly around the study of electromagnetism, which includes things like using a changing magnetic field to produce an electric current. Given efforts needed to adapt the grid to renewables and reduce the nation's carbon footprint to help mitigate climate change, this is particularly relevant right now. One interesting thing about Michael Faraday is that there is a memorial piece for him in Elephant and Castle, which is close to where I live in London. And inside that, there is an electrical substation for the Northern and Bakerloo line. So if anyone's going through London or travels on the Northern and Bakerloo line and happens to travel through Elephant and Castle, remember Michael Faraday, because that's apparently where he was um, born and raised. And we were just looking at um, female engineers and scientists that had quite a valuable contribution to the electricity or electrical field. And given most of those breakthroughs with during the Victoria era. And there are not many known uh, women engineers or scientists working in the field at the time, but we thought we would mention one. Her name is Hertha Ayrton. She was an expert on the subject of electrical arcs, and she was the first elected female member of the Institute of Electrical Engineers, and that was in 1899. So, Antonia, tell me why you're interested in electricity grid. About Hertha Ayrton, we wanted to find someone because it's also International Women's Day. On the day that we're recording this. Yeah, on the day we record this. Yeah, the day we're recording. (laughs) Galia's sister was looking over her shoulder as she was preparing for today and was like, I can't believe you're not mentioning a woman. Yeah. But yeah, back on to the topic of electricity. I work in the energy sector and advise uh, different companies about how they can reach net zero. And often something that comes up is renewable energy and can they install solar panels on their roof and yeah that's great from their perspective but then things that I was reading before was for the national grid renewables are quite different in the way that they work compared to you know our conventional methods using a a steam turbine so that was something that you know we don't really see on in a general view we just hear about oh let's renewables and the actual generation technologies and actually the grid is kind of the backbone of it all okay laura i know you have a very different background so what does the grid mean to you why is it interesting for you it's not something i've ever thought about in a lot of detail you hear about the need to balance the grid and making sure there's enough supply to meet demand but i think for me I've not ever experienced um, a blackout or a brownout because of not having enough power generation or electricity generation. And I think that's, in a way, that's quite surprising. I was never so good at learning this stuff in school. For some reason, electronics was not my thing. And I think I've actually learned more about it from using particle accelerators than I have from (laughs) teachers in school, which is probably a weird way of learning about electricity. Fair enough. I mean, we all take different routes. (laughs) From my personal perspective, I'm going to be very honest with you both. Electricity and understanding the grid is never something I understood when I was at school. Um, and even till this day, I am not in any way familiar 
with it all. So before we start and delve into this, perhaps it'd be good if we could provide some definitions, mainly for me to understand, but everyone else that's listening. So what do we actually mean by the electricity grid? Like, what is this? So you have generators and often in the past, it was big coal plants and they might be near coal mines or far away from people because of the uh, emissions from coal. So it's not necessarily where we live. So we have a transmission network that's at a higher voltage than we need. And it'll come to a more local distribution network. And again, that's a little bit lower voltage. And then we have substations and they distribute it to businesses and homes. Uh, and that's what everyone calls the grid. When I first think of a grid, I thought of underground assets, so things like traveling underground. But I guess to get from the generation part to the substations, is that where the pylons are used? So they're the ones that high voltage above ground. And then to get to a house, it's everything below ground. Is that right? There's, there's still some cabling that happens over, over ground okay. too. But, you know, there are actually really big cables, the interconnectors that we exchange electricity with Ireland and France and somewhere else in Europe. We, we have a few what we call interconnectors. They're huge cables that are buried under in the sea. Okay, thanks for laying that out. Let's go back to basics. This whole thing is all about power, right? So yeah, power. One way to think about it is how much energy you have per second. One of the really funny ways I think of it is instead of electrons in cables, it's like delivery people and getting deliveries. Okay, you've changed my whole perspective on life right now because I always struggle with just imagining electrons just like hitting each other. So now I'm going to just imagine them as delivery packages. Okay, (laughs) I'm with you so far. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to like also say this is from a direct current, a DC perspective, because that is where we're going to start with. Let's say the battery, mm-hmm. where the power comes from, or the energy comes from. The warehouse. <laughs> the distribution hub. Mm-hmm. The more delivery drivers you have per second, you're going to get more deliveries. That's a really nice way of describing it. Because I said near the start that this was something that always confused me in school. And like in the last few years, I've been working in a building that has particle accelerators, and we do experiments with it. And I, I learned about currents in terms of the beam of particles that you're accelerating towards your sample and you know how many particles or how many ions you've fired at it because you can measure the beam current Mm. so that's what i understand of current that it's how many ions per second or how many electrons per second if you're talking about an electrical circuit which i guess is the packages that you're talking about and then the voltage is pretty much how fast you can accelerate the particles. So what's the energy that they're traveling at when they reach the maximum speed that you're giving them? Yeah, from a more technical perspective, it's potential difference that because of particle attraction, the stronger the difference, the faster a particle is going to go from negative to positive. But if we're talking about the analogy of delivery drivers, (laughs) it's like the speed limit of the road that they're traveling on generally they're going to match the speed limit to be fair your analogy is probably more understandable than mine because mine only really makes sense if you use a particle accelerator i was gonna say laura could you give me a bit more information on that (laughs) oh you don't really want to (laughs) it's a bit off topic fair enough you start off with something that generates ions at one end and then you accelerate them towards something they're attracted to and then there are various things you can do to this but it's pretty much what antonio was describing where you have that potential difference that thing they want to accelerate to um i should say that most of the 
stuff I'm working on was in a vacuum and in an actual electrical circuit, it will probably be a little bit different. So yeah, maybe we don't use particle accelerators to explain how the electricity yeah. group <laughs> I think that's a good way for some people, you know, why knock it? I ended up looking at the GCSE revision stuff that BBC Bite Size does. So I feel like anyone that's in school will probably notice better than we do. But it's a simple definition of power, right? That school children know better than I do, it turns out. <laughs> so using your analogy, I guess, of packages, what's power then? If I'm talking about delivery drivers, let's say power is how many packages you can deliver at an instant in time. So yeah, I guess most people in school would know the equation is um, power is voltage times current. And I guess you learn about this by constructing a simple circuit with probably a light bulb connected to a battery and the electrons just run around that circuit. But I, I guess the grid is probably a little bit more complicated and quite a few people in the Victorian era probably had a big part to play in how it was created. I mentioned Faraday at the start. He discovered electromagnetic induction in 1831, which is the principle used by power stations that use steam to turn a turbine and so ultimately generate electricity. And so from what I've read, there was a lot of development of electricity generation between the 1880s to about the 1920s. That's what I was reading. We sort of had an idea to record this episode a while ago, and I did a lot of reading to try and get my head around it. Apparently, there was this huge argument about whether alternating current or direct current could be used. But alternating current was chosen because transformers could be used to change the voltage and the current. Whereas with direct current, it would be a little bit more complicated. Um, and alternating current is where there's an oscillation. So the electrons move back and forth in the circuit. I'm not entirely sure what that means for using transformers. But the transformers mean that we can step the voltage up to up to 400 kilovolts, apparently, which reduces power loss over long distances. So when you're transmitting the energy along power lines and then you can drop it down to something that's a, apparently a safer voltage to use of 240 volts is what we use in the UK. Fun fact from what I've read when we're talking about batteries, they're all direct current. So it means that the alternating current must be converted if you want to charge your mobile phone or your electric vehicle. And that apparently leads to a power loss, which to me doesn't sound like a good thing. So to get this correct then, so we have AC current to get the electricity or get the energy to us. And then within our homes, we use DC. No, so we still oh. use AC at home. It's only okay. for the specific applications where we okay. have to use DC. Apparently, uh, most appliances use DC, but they'll convert it once it gets to that particular appliance. Okay. Antonio was talking about steam turbines. They all generate alternating current. Yes. So the whole idea about what Michael Faraday found was the way that the generators turn is how it generates the current and that switches the poles and then you get the current going one way and then back another way. And it happens at a specific frequency. What's really funny is before we came to a standard, there was so many different frequencies and voltages used that you'd basically could have an appliance that wouldn't work in another part of London because there was 10 <laughs> different standards. I just can't imagine going to a shop at one end and then going back to your house and being confused why your electrical appliance wasn't working or you'd have to use some sort of adapter or transformer so that you had your correct energy supply. No, it sounds like it would have been so complicated and you can't just like borrow some light bulbs from a friend say because their power supply is different. You mentioned that it used to be different in Europe, and I think that might explain why I managed to break um, a mini disc player about 20 years ago when I was on holiday. I I wasn't really aware of this, and it had an internal battery, and I charged it up, and then it would no longer work. It must have done something to that battery that meant it would no longer hold a charge. Oh. 
sad times. Yeah, it's not a thing now, thankfully. Well, is that the case anywhere? So that's why we have adapters. It's not just for the shape of the plug, but also it will transform it into the correct voltage and frequency for our appliances. If you want to know if something has a transformer, which would be changing the output, you can hear a little hum when it's connected, if it's really inefficient. Okay, I I can see these delivery drivers coming in and out and like they're on the speed limit and I get the power is just like how many drivers there are and then I understand that there's AC and DC. So then how does that kind of all then relate to the grid? Because the grid was basically made up of steam turbines, we found one of the most efficient ways to run them was between 3000 or 3600 RPM. And RPM is revolutions per minute. or 50 turns per second, that's 50 hertz. And so that's the prevailing uh, electric grid frequency across the world, either 50 or 60 hertz because of these generators. And we call that synchronous because if you imagine, we have a network of all these generators connected by the national grid. If one's spinning faster than the other, then it will equal out, but it will kind of be weird at one end. You have something spinning way faster than the other. And eventually the way that electrons would go, they would kind of tend towards the easiest path. So it it would just mean like someone would have flickering light bulbs and someone else would have way too bright light bulbs. (laughs) It's a path of least resistance. Yeah. Yes, I remember that now. It's all coming back to me. (laughs) I'm telling you when you said they were most efficient at a particular frequency. Okay. When I was reading into this, uh, from what I could tell, 50 hertz was picked because it was the lowest frequency which old light bulbs wouldn't flicker oh. back in Victorian times it was you know those incandescent light bulbs that have a filament that heats up um, and then it starts to glow as it gets warm but anything lower than 50 hertz meant that the filament had time to cool down between each cycle which sounds like a thing we don't necessarily need now because I yeah. don't think a lot of people use incandescent light bulbs but there we go And apparently, back in the late um, 1800s, early 1900s, when the grid was being developed, you wanted the turbine to spin at as low a frequency as possible because of limits on what you could do with the mechanics and the materials. Apparently, the turbines could maybe tear themselves apart at very high frequencies. Obviously, you've got steam at pressure turning this turbine at quite a a high frequency for something that's actually quite massive. And then you've got that magnetic field being generated, which then induces a current in the coils around it. And I can see if you're spinning, I guess, maybe magnets originally that would have been really heavy. There's Mm. there's a limit to how fast you can make that thing turn without doing damage. Yeah, and I guess the more moving parts you have and the more they're used, it just wears down faster. So they probably would try to get away with spinning it as little as possible and generating enough to keep the lights on, literally. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And I think things have changed a bit since technology's obviously moved on. They don't use magnets anymore. They create electromagnets using electricity. Get your head around that one. (laughs) Oh, Faraday. (laughs) How did they start that off if there's no electricity to begin with? It's obviously one of those things that you have to build up, starting with a, a grid that's maybe not so efficient and then improving it. You were talking about voltages in different parts of the world, and I keep hearing that the USA is very different, such that took a kettle from the UK, it would take forever to actually boil. Is that all throughout the US? I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I've never really tested this. Maybe we need a trip to the US. We have to validate this. We have to do our own experiments. Let's see, yes. <laughs> so we said power equals voltage times current. And we want to deliver the same power. So we'd have to change the current or the voltage. In the US, they've changed the voltage. So that would do something to your current. But I guess there would also be limits to it because otherwise you would have really thick 
cabling in order to do that or there is some fail safe in your equipment to make sure it doesn't run over a current and so it probably blows all our fuses all the time so instead we have some adapter to make sure it doesn't so it just means we get less power delivered because our appliances weren't designed to work at 120 volts they were designed to work at 240. Oh so is all of the USA 120 volts? In industrial settings, they use higher voltages to run uh, big equipment. So then does that affect anything else in the grid, like the frequency at which the alternating current alternates at? I think they've gone for a different frequency as well. I was reading they run at 60 hertz. don't know why. I think countries just choose different ones. So is it the frequency that's particularly important to how the grid is run? Or is it the voltage or the current or something else? I think yes. Everything. Lots of things. (laughs) Frequency is a good indicator of how much is being drawn from the grid and whether we've matched the generation to the demand. If you imagine these turbines are spinning at a certain speed and if there's more energy being used, that's going to need more energy than what the turbine is powering. So the frequency of you know the oscillations will slow down. If we go back to your particle accelerator, we are taking more particles off. We've got more deliveries taken away. And so you're just not going to get as many deliveries so there in, are, in that time. <laughs> there are a few electrons to oscillate yeah. on the grid. Yeah, we've just taken them out. So then you need to dispatch more delivery drivers. Does that mean at different times of the day, do we like pump more electricity into the grid to meet different demand peaks? One of the classic national grid explanations is tea time, or at least tea time in the north. When everyone gets home after work, between like four and seven, there's that kind of peak mm-hmm. of energy being used. So everyone's turning on the lights, turning on the kettle, start cooking, watch TV, all that kind of stuff. And that's when they usually ramp up generation or bring on other energy from like importing it or from storage. Is the reaction to a peak in demand quite instantaneous? Is it quite easy to just do because going back to Laura's point, like we've never really have outages here in the UK. So is it quite instantaneous or do we just have a really resilient infrastructure around that? In part, there's a lot of planning that comes into it. You know, we had an episode about weather forecasting. The weather kind of dictates it. If we're having a colder weather, then we would anticipate more energy being used. Or if there are certain events, then again, that could be either a drop in energy demand or increase in energy demand. Kind of depends what type of event it is. But mostly it can really vary. Sometimes we do have a more instantaneous response. If it's not anticipated, the frequency will have dropped. But increasingly with renewables, there might be times when we have more energy than we needed. And then we have to actually find a way to make sure that the grid doesn't have too much electricity going for it. Yeah. More than it was expected or designed for. It's a good point and a good segue into renewables. Why is it not that easy for us to just be able to use the grid as it is and just use renewable energy? The term inertia comes to mind. Okay. With a turbine, like Laura said before, they're really big, heavy pieces of kit. So when we see there's a drop in demand, you can simply, you know, reduce the flow of the steam going to the steam turbines. And then slowly you would have less electricity being generated, but it's not a sudden stop, which doesn't necessarily happen with renewables because they're just electrical energy instead of, you know, that physical kinetic energy. Then 
you could end up having suddenly loads of electricity to none. And then that could be really bad for a stability point of view. If we go back to the simple light bulb circuit, if you had those variable resistors where you'd slide it across mm. and you can see like the light bulb getting brighter and dimmer, yeah. instead you would kind of have a sudden on off and that gives people less time to react. Can we not generate energy at peak times and store it or does the storage require a lot of space? Yeah, we have some capacity for storage. So pumped hydro storage, we've been using that for at least a century, I think, because it's quite a simple having a pump and you have, again, potential in the form of gravity during the cheaper times for generating energy you would pump the water up to the higher reservoir so it kind of is storing it as potential energy and then when you need the energy you release the valve and the water flows down and pushes turbines so we do have some capacity for storage it's just not quite at the rate of which our uh, renewables are coming online because we've kind of used a lot of the key places for hydro and there is kind of a physical limit to how much we can install before we have to start creating artificial reservoirs so when you say it's cheaper that's when there aren't a lot of people using electricity so at night when people are asleep but you still need some sort of generating capacity because if there wasn't any electricity throughout going through the grid I can imagine the whole thing would shut down you need to keep those turbines turning it is a really funny one the, the grid it, it needs to be in balance there can't be too much generation over what is demanding it's it's if we were delivering parcels but no one was actually needing them that you just get a stockpile <laughs> but all the electrons would kind of crash together and kind of overheat the cables and then you know fire ah so with the steam turbines obviously we can control that because that's an entirely sort of a closed off process that people have created with renewables so with wind and solar you're limited by how strongly the sun is shining if it's shining at all because you said electricity is cheaper at night sun's definitely not shining then um or if the wind's blowing though you have this sort of almost uncontrollable influx of electricity was that a challenge for managing the grid and keeping it at that 50 hertz that's the funny thing a lot of people say renewables are unreliable it's not unreliable it's, it's intermittent or kind of not within our control we can't say oh, i demand more electricity so the sun must shine more we don't have control over that. So we have to use other means, basically, to, to match supply to demand. We can have control on that, those aspects a little. So as we have more uh, electronics, we can actually decide when we want to do things. Like we don't have to charging cars at a particular time of day. We can set software up to set it to do it at a certain time, things like that. When I worked at um, uh, so a sewage treatment plant, it's quite energy intensive. And well, we were doing it really for cost reasons, but when we kind of would stop using things that weren't urgent or needed, but were kind of high energy intensive at certain times of the day, and we'd put them on when it was the cheapest. So yeah, you can kind of manage. I mean, this is quite like a big on, on a big industrial scale and um, you can manage I guess your electricity consumption throughout the day and it was cheaper to do that. You can see you've got renewables if we forecast it's a really sunny day because the weather forecast is always accurate as we were saying <laughs> in the last episode. Does that mean you guys would all just run to work and be turning mm. things on to get your <laughs> intensely energy consuming plant up and doing its thing? Yeah. And then you can't enjoy the sunshine. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes people just need to do things at a certain time. Before Christmas, the wind wasn't blowing that much and the places we import electricity from also, funnily enough, did not have as much wind as us either. 
So we had to use gas a lot more because it is that kind of controllable. We can choose what flow rate of gas we use. So that's why having other technologies is really good in terms of diversity. In the news very recently, a lot of people don't like Russia right now, which is where we get a lot of our gas from. Mm. So our prime minister is hatching a plan to make our electricity supply and our energy supply more widely a bit more resilient against geopolitical forces. I'll be interested to see what he comes up with because it sounds like we need some form of electricity generated from turning turbines. I mean, I worked in the nuclear industry a long time, so that seems like the obvious answer to me. Yeah, I think the difference, though, is we don't turn nuclear plants on and off on a day-to-day basis. We kind of plan it months in advance for um, a shutdown or maintenance. They're often planned with uh, times of low demand. Um, I didn't work on the power generation side, I should say. So I only understand in very general terms. But it sounds like from what you're saying, you need that inertia in the grid. So you need something that uses steam turbines. But then renewables, wind and solar, are very attractive for different reasons. So I wonder what that means for the future of renewables. What does a resilient grid look like? That's an interesting thing. We've actually started making what one article called a green turbines, but essentially they are flywheels. They're really heavy piece of kit that are generally metal, and we store all that extra energy as rotational energy. They are really low friction, so they kind of just keep spinning. When we need it again, we sort of tap in back into that rotational energy and use that to generate electricity again. And they can be quite efficient. Um, We actually use that kind of technology in regenerative braking. All right. At least mechanically driven regenerative braking. Some is electrical. Regenerative braking in uh, vehicles, so in cars and lorries and things. Yes, They tend to, yeah, the the flywheels, because they're so heavy, tend to be mostly used in large vehicles rather than passenger cars. Uh, Yeah, I think you mentioned this in our um, episode about how has engineering affected our lives a few months ago? So, um, yeah, so it sounds like you're sort of saying they do what a steam turbine would do. The steam turbines have that inertia. They're the big rotating things. Yeah. But as well as sort of um, mechanical ways, we also have some electronic ways of sort of mimicking inertia in the uh, frequency. They're called grid forming converters. They kind of create electronic inertia. Again, it comes back to the electromagnets. Instead of shutting off immediately, it kind of stays in the circuit because of induced induced magnetic fields. So we're still using Faraday's findings in some way, just in a different way. Yeah, and there are some other little bits of circuitry like capacitors. And this is where my limit is. (laughs) (laughs) We're essentially saying that because we have this old Victorian electricity grid we're kind of limited with what we can do so i wonder what could we do if we were doing it from scratch based on what little we know about how the grid works is this where we're going to look at some like movie that we've watched recently and try and mimic that world (laughs) if only i could think of one (laughs) i wonder if maybe using direct current would be more sensible in having just like local power generation so i can imagine like every community having its own power plant of some kind You know, like new homes are often built with solar panels on the roof Mm. and that supplies direct current and your appliances use direct current. 
so you don't have to convert it. So maybe there are fewer losses. So your home is more efficient up to a point. You're still limited by the sun shining. So you need a secondary form of electricity supply. I was saying that alternating current was chosen because we could use transformers and we could have really large voltages that were good for long power lines. So if you don't need those long power lines, maybe everything can be DC. Mm. Um, Or Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) I think that makes sense. But I would then just kind of be worried. So I know energy production is privatized, but the network is held by the government. Is that correct? No, that is still a private company. Okay. They are um, heavily regulated by Ofgem. Okay. And there is sometimes talk about the future of that as a whole. It's surprising because in other countries, they do have states or provinces which look after their own local grids. And sometimes they're not actually better than um, private companies mm. because private companies are still the ones doing the job. If you have your local council trying to control a grid, they might not have all the expertise that so they have to go elsewhere. Yeah. And because they're public sector, sometimes they get overcharged because they don't have the expertise. So it's a bit of a bit of a toss up sometimes between privatization and public. So I get Laura's point. It might be more efficient, but then I was just going to talk about allocation of funds. If one place is full of rich people and they can hire lawyers and whatever, that they might get a lot more funding to make sure that their parts are maintained a bit more. But I guess it depends if it's privatized and it's regulated. There's a specific level of service which they have to provide. So you're both engineers here and you're talking about sort of the social and business aspects. I'm Mm. just a scientist. (laughs) And I want to know how to use the science to the best advantage for my community (laughs) (laughs) that's the fun thing about engineering now is we're still learning new things but inherently we have to consider the application for the people geographically even in the uk we don't have all the generation where we live offshore wind is great but we don't all live offshore i live very close to the sea though so i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) at the conclusion of this is that laura's okay laura's a scientist she wants the most efficient way of doing this forget about everything else (laughs) and antonia wants to live in a marvel world i'm glad we reached those conclusions so this sounds like a good place to leave before we divert too far off topic Thank you very much, both of you, for teaching me (laughs) some basics of electricity and how that relates to the grid and I guess some of the concerns that we have with going completely renewable and the need for it to be diverse. So we've sort of refreshed our memory of high school physics to help us understand our electricity supply, which I think made us all feel a bit like our understanding was a bit of sketchy. But then we have recovered from that. I think we're OK. We talked about the history of the national grid and why we have alternating current that operates at 50 hertz. Laura wants that now to be DC. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> and how this is important for monitoring whether supply meets demand and why comparatively new technology like wind and solar doesn't always fit in with our Victorian era electricity grid because it doesn't have that inertia and I guess in our utopia worlds we all have our different ways of thinking so thank you very much both of you if you'd like to find us on twitter you can carry on this conversation or leave us a comment on the episode thank you very much the views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them they do not represent any industry or organization if you enjoyed listening to these views it would really help us out if you could rate us leave a review and tell a friend this podcast was sponsored by no one but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering please get in touch